Welcome to Wild Under Root, a podcast about plants, place, and magic with Lisa Fazio and Pete Bianco. Even if lightning strikes, or if thunder splits the sky, if the mountains fall and rivers overflow, you can never stop a seed from growing. Plant medicine is imperative to creating generative healthy human community in relationship with the more than human world. And part of why it's so imperative is because it works. It works for food and it works for medicine. It is traditional knowledge. And this knowledge of the healing plants includes the full scope of local indigenous healing methods from cultures around the world. These methods are beyond the time of our current generation in both directions, to our ancestors and to our descendants. Another important thing to note about traditional knowledge is that it is dynamic, so it's alive and subject to change as conditions change. That means it is susceptible to ecological pressure, which is why traditional knowledge is so important right now as we attempt to adapt to modern times. We need these methods that have proven effective through time that can be shaped to meet our needs now. Currently, plant medicine and what we call herbalism has become a mass commercialized industry that finds itself located outside of specific communities or circles and into every grocery store in America. This is why we believe this podcast to be important and why we want to share. We believe that plants, plant medicine, and the cultural traditions that they are a part of, including the ones that we are creating right now, are one of the ways that we can live well here now on this planet. Hello and welcome to our first episode of the Wild Under Root podcast. I am Lisa Fazio. I am a community herbalist and I am the founder of the Root Circle where we're hosting this. This is a community education center focused on the traditional knowledge of plants place and magic which is going to be the focus of this podcast i'm also an astrologer and i am a writer specifically a poet and a mother among a few other things and my co-host here is my name is peter bianco i'm also a community herbalist i apprenticed with lisa and I'm also a CSA vegetable farmer at Old Path Farm and director of Utica Herbal Study Group, so I do end up spending a lot of my time with plants. And we are coming to you from the Adirondack foothills of central New York, above the Mohawk Valley. We both grew up, I grew up in the city of Utica, and Pete grew up around the city of Utica. New Hartford. New Hartford. Right outside. And... We Pete has been my apprentice for several years and now is an herbalist in his own right. Together we formed the Utica Herbal Study Group. I founded it several years ago. I think we figured like eight, nine years ago, something like that. Mm -hmm. And I directed it for three or four years and then got engaged in some other pro projects. And at that time, Pete and a couple other students of mine kept it going 
and today Pete continues it. Monthly, the Herbal Study Group meets at the other side in Utica, which is a community center. You want to just talk a little bit about the Herbal Study Group? Sure. So during the warm months, uh, we will meet outdoors, identify plants, talk about their medicinal uses. And in the colder months, we meet indoors, and people will give presentations, uh, many times just on a specific herb. There's been a time when we did a four directions model of thinking about herbs, and then uh, we did some organoleptic where we're uh, relying on our senses to inform us about the herbs. Can you explain how you're doing that? Because I think that's really fun. Okay. So during the organoleptic days, I got inspired by herbalist uh, Chris Headley, and I had gone to a class of his in 2009 at the International Herbal Symposium. And what he did is what I imitate is make a tea for everyone and not tell them what it is. So only the person who brewed the tea knows what it is. And so as people taste it, um, the person leading the class asks people to describe it. And I would have a chalkboard and just write people's different uh, impressions that they got, uh, what the flavor was like, where they would feel it in their body. Uh, That's so much fun. Yeah, different types of impressions. And what surprised me in the class and then the subsequent classes that at Utica Herbal Study Group is how many people um, have a similar consensus about what right. what the herb is doing and where they're feeling it. So it's a great tool for learning plants that you are not familiar with. Yeah, and learning it in a different way than this plant has this name and it is used for this. Right. So we're really, it's a very direct learning experience that's uh, with our, directly with our senses. So can you just, because some people might not know what's meant by organoleptic. Um, gee, I don't know if I could actually define it properly, but my impression is that we're using our organs or, or senses to um, understand what it is that we're interacting with. So I, FDA uses organoleptic testing uh, in fish markets because to understand the uh, freshness of the fish in the market because there's not a mechanical device that can do it. You have to rely on your senses. Right, so it's your sense of taste, smell, and your felt sense as well, right? Right, yes. So, yeah, that's our herbal study group, Utica Herbal Study Group, and we're kind of feeling like this podcast is a continuation of some of that work that we have brought into our local community and wanting to share not only with our our local community but with a wider audience the traditional practices of plant medicine along with placemaking which it's connected to belonging which it's connected to, connected to, and cultural magic, which it is also very deeply connected to, and how these practices are changing and shaping the world now and into the future. I also wanted to stress that herbalism is for everybody, so it's not just a certain type of person who can use herbalism, um, that everyone's uh, ancestors at some point were using um, plants for medicine, and... I think that uh, we should learn to use them again for our own well-being. And the reason for that is that the plants are um, affordable, accessible, and effective. Yeah, I think ex accessibility is a big part of it. 
And I think that's a big part of why we wanted to start this podcast because it is really important that this knowledge is shared and shared laterally, which means that there's no hierarchy, that this isn't something that is owned by a corporation, that herbal medicine at this time is becoming highly commercialized Mm -hmm. and corporatized and that our goals are to keep it in the hands of the people and do, to do that, just sharing knowledge is, is a big part of it. Um, <clears throat> I think of this podcast as being a place itself where we can share this knowledge in the face of our current healthcare crisis amid several other crises of our times, including ecological crisis, climate crisis, and the consequences of oppressive hierarchical social systems, which we're all living in. Plant medicine and the traditional systems it is a part of are now and always have been accessible to common people. And I think that's one of the biggest parts of it is that these traditions emerged out of local communities and sometimes families as well. Um, and that the information was exchanged usually through from generation to generation as well as from person to person laterally. So in other words, you share something with your neighbor and then they share something with their neighbor. I have written about this in an article that is called Radical and Rhizomati and it's in, in the Dark Mountain Project journal and I'll share the link. And I um, talked about how certain types of roots, which are called rhizomes, rhizome is actually an underground stem, branch out, these underground stems branch out fractally. So they're part of one plant and sometimes connected to other um, above ground plants, but under the ground, they fractalize. So each is autonomous, Mm. but still in connection with the network and in communication with the network. So there's a constant communication exchange. And with a rhizome, you can, you can step in anywhere right, and become part of the system. Yeah, that's uh, something, too, that I think about when I'm thinking about using plants as medicine. It, it's um, hard to figure out where to start because all the points lead to one another. Mm-hmm. And if you're thinking about what a plant is used for one plant has so many different ways that it interacts with the body um it's hard to to figure out how to classify it or categorize it It kind of defies because it's not linear right and i think that's um one of the most important things about uh rhizomes is that it's fractal and it's a network it's a matrix and it's in connection with all these other things. So it's not like you're just going to follow a straight line from one point to the other and back again. Right. It's stepping in to a, a whole system. Yeah. So I think once you have a basic understanding of that, then you can use it to, if you know where you want to go, you can kind of follow it in, into any direction because it goes in all directions. Follow where you're being called. Hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, so how did, I just thought maybe we talk a little bit about how we got into plant medicine, what called us. Um, I know that, do you have anything you want to say about that? Um, 
I feel like I've been skeptical of the system of hospitals and doctors and felt like that there was a better way, but I didn't really know what it was. And um, my next step in that direction was reading um, Hilda Clark's book, The Cure for All Disease, and that was very informative and I think it shaped me in a lot of ways, especially about getting toxic things out of my life. Um, and then the, I've, you know, have an appreciation for plants, but didn't understand that they, how to use them mm. until I met you. And mm. then that was a very exciting introduction mm. when I found out that you were an herbalist. And the excitement never ends with plants. I personally got into herbalism and plant medicine when I had a young child with chronic ear infections and we didn't have any health insurance and we went through the antibiotic regimen that they put you on and then eventually they were saying well she's going to need tubes in her ears and it was an expensive surgery and so I had had some exposure to like homeopathy and just through a series of synchronicities and coincidences, or not coincidences, but I learned about garlic oil, and we started using that in her ears, and she never had another ear infection. And we made a bunch of other changes, too, in terms of diet and, and that kind of thing. And I started studying herbs from there. I was, I was hooked. You were a believer. I, I always say I was captured. I, I never... I never set out in my life to become an herbalist. It was never even a possibility in my mind. And it really did feel like something that I just fell into through a series of synchronicities and, and events. So one of the other things we want to talk about other than plants is place. And because I feel like these are connected, and I think we both feel like these are connected, we've shared where we are now. Uh, I thought we'd also share about this place and kind of share a land acknowledgement, which is that we are in what is known as New York State, that is the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, or aka Iroquois people. And that my own personal ancestors are from Europe, both Italy and Ireland. And they immigrated specifically to the Mohawk Valley and the foothills. And my family um, immigrated from Italy and Germany. Um, I have uh, Lebanese, uh, Scottish, and uh, Welsh ancestry. So when we think about place, it's an interesting word in these times, I feel like, because what place once meant to humans is different now. And our sense of place and belonging has changed because so many of us have been displaced either through immigration or war, colonization, slavery, all those things that come with our economic system and our political systems. So I feel like place is, is a question. What does it mean? My understanding of place is always in process, but so far my deepest understanding of it has led me to define it as a feeling of love, connection, and belonging 
that I have for where I am. Mm. And I have a strong bond with this specific location that I'm in right now. But I also realize that many of us are transient and we move around and move from place to place and people are still immigrating. When you talk about um, love, connection, and longing, that reminds me of when you see, uh, when you start learning plants, um, f- for me, I it was harder for me to recognize all the plants and still, uh, until I started looking for them and thinking about them. Um, right, the sea of green. Yeah, so at first, you know, you look out and, and the field is just like a big green thing and you don't differentiate one plant from another. But then we start learning different plant names and different plant uses and I feel like once I get these two different points of reference for the plant, the name and something it's used for, it's like meeting someone, learning their name, and then knowing a little bit about them. You'll be able to remember the person's name a little better, or at least I feel like I'm able to remember someone better when I have a little bit more that I know about them, mm-hmm. and that helps me to remember the plants. And then now that I remember them and then I look out into the sea of green, it's mm. no longer just this blur it's individuated into all these different personalities and then you can really see the different in different localities sometimes even just within a few miles right of of place and then when you go to other places i feel like because we travel and we move and immigrate and all that stuff that when we go to another place what do we do how do we connect because I feel like it's always important, no matter where you are, mm-hmm. to be embodied mm-hmm. and connected. And I feel like I immediately start looking around at the plants to help me orient myself, no matter where I am. So I feel like that bonding can begin at any time, anywhere. Mm-hmm. And then I think once you start learning all these plants, and then whenever you're traveling, you're never alone. Even if you're by yourself, you'll recognize these plants that feel like friends once you make friends with plants you are just never alone yeah so place is interesting in these times i do feel like it is involved it's a part of it involves making relationships and that's kind of what you're referring to is you're making a relationship with plants and making relationship with others others more than human others and human others so it is emergent. It's what I think of as emergent, something that occurs, placemaking occurs out of our interactions and relationships that we form with where we are. That makes sense. And I don't think this necessarily has to even be geographical because there are, in our world, there are other places. Like the internet is a place, Facebook is a place, right? So we have created community beyond the boundaries or limitations of physical location. Right. And I do believe that part of that happening is the emergence of relationships. Emergence is defined as a process of evolution that creates new properties and it is the result of synergy. So it's when two things come together and they, in their interaction, their exchange or their synergy, something occurs that would not have occurred with either of them separately. So it's like a a third thing happens in the relationship of two or more people. 
sometimes a third, fourth, or fifth thing happens. This happens when two or more autonomous agents, beings, or forces cooperate and converge. So to me, a lot of it is about convergence in mutual interchange. And this is where these new properties come from that we call place. Do you want to talk about magic? Sure. So magic is another big word that may mean one thing to somebody else, something else to you, something else to me. So want me to share my ideas on magic? Um, To me, magic is not about manipulation of natural forces in order so that I can get what I want. So to me, magic is not about, you know, making things appear out of nowhere. Um, Although I guess miracles always happen, and I totally believe in miracles. Um, But to me, it is about attunement to what might be called sacred or elemental or even unseen energies that live within matter and live within all of us and all of the spaces in between so that we can form relationships of resonance with them. Um, Another aspect for me is the relationship and perception we have developed to give meaning to what we see. So it's also, it's not just about the unseen or the invisible, it's also when we can see things and objects and matter in each other and see something in those objects or structures of the universe that is beyond just their physical properties. my favorite example is the magic of the moon and how, or any of the planets, or a rock, and how when you look at it, you might just simply say, oh, the moon is just this ball in orbit, orbit that is reflecting the sunlight. But we may be able to look at it differently and see its energetic qualities, such as every night it sends dew down to the earth. Mm. Every night when it shines, the dew hits the earth and then it rises again into the air. It's evaporated by the light of the moon. It increases the power of water and moisture. It makes it available in ways that otherwise wouldn't happen. It also illuminates the darkness at night and in our hearts and minds. So it represents many things. And I think that magic is being able to see even the scene in our life, even the three-dimensional things in our life in different ways and give them meanings. So magic expands and deepens how we understand ourselves. That includes the three-dimensional world and the more than three-dimensional world, the multi-dimensional world. Any thoughts? (laughs) Um, Well, I was just going to share my understanding of magic or the little bit that I've somebody lent me a book on magic one time and it was about um creating objects and these um it was saying kind of anything that you make by hand mm. um is a magical object and the more intention that you put into it mm. the more magical it is so then it's just um makes me think about us living in this world without magic when everything is made in a factory and nothing's made by hand anymore with someone who has a great uh, intention or care. So then the question to me would be, can we imbibe 
something made in a factory with magic. Oh, um, hmm. And then, and then my other question for that is, because we do have all these material objects that were made either by like child labor, um, through mass pollution of the planet. There's a lot of plastic. There's a lot of things, and and so I wonder sometimes: do we turn our nose up to those things and say, "Oh, they were mass produced, and so there's nothing valuable in them"? Or is it possible for those things to be honored for one, just in the sacrifice that was made mm-hmm. in their production? Mm-hmm. Because there were still people involved in their production, right? I guess my first reaction was that I don't feel like they're magical, um, but I don't feel like they're useless. I mean, we we use objects like that all the time, and they're very useful. Mm. But I guess I just wouldn't uh, necessarily think of them as as. So what I think about with magic again is that magic is something that's empowering. And yeah, um, I love that. I don't feel as empowered. Um, when someone else is making something for me. Mm. I feel more empowered when I'm doing it myself. There's definitely a qualitative difference for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just the process of making something. So you're using the elements and you're shaping matter. Right. And you're doing it with with your own mind to your own specifications, everything in it. You know, you're learning in every moment. You're uh, creating in every moment of of making an object or making something like that. So, it's very empowering. And I feel like every time I learn a new skill, that's also empowering, and it just adds collectively to my empowerment. Mm. So, magic is empowering. Yeah, I believe so. Um. So, what about magic and plants? Ooh. So I'll just share that one of the things we learn in, when we're studying plants is how powerfully the human energy field responds to vibratory inputs. So these are one of the things that I think of as magic, that sometimes just being near a plant can elicit a noticeable response in the human energy field and to the person, to their conscious awareness. And um, this is, it's, it's real, right? But it's also magic. Um, I feel like it includes all the ways that we find now and the ways that we were given through tradition to access what is both outside of ourselves and deep within that realizes that we are more than material and that, in fact, matter is not dead. And I think that's been part of Western civilization's greatest downfalls is we disconnected spirit and matter it's like the mind body split Mm -hmm. and and lost that animation or the animism of our daily lives that at one time was always full of the sacred some from wherever you come from on earth every culture had that so that's and i feel like plants being in contact with plants awakens that. Mm-hmm. And I think we've both noticed how sometimes just having a plant, being in a plant's presence or or if you're working with somebody and you just give them a drop of something that they will respond. Mm-hmm. Their energy field will respond. 
and it can create shifts in the person's health. Right. Um, another example kind of uh, of that same kind of thing is, or it's maybe it's not the same, but um, an experience I had was I was having cramps and it was in the middle of the night and it was stomach cramps. And uh, I was looking for my tincture of cramp bark and my partner Nancy said, why don't you just go outside and sit with the cramp bark? It's like, Did you? It's right outside the door. Yeah, so I just sat out there uh, on the step and um, touched the, the leaf, just caressed the cramp bark leaf for a few minutes. And my cramps went away. Awesome. Yeah. Love it. Um, so in this podcast, some of the aspects of magic that we will be hopefully interviewing people about and talking about ourselves include various technologies, both ancient, evolving, and emerging, because traditions change. They are, they are adaptable. Traditions, whether, wherever they come from, um, change to help the people of the time that we're in adapt. Yeah. Um, and some of these are astrology, dream work, flower essences, parapsychology, quantum physics, religion and spirituality, prayer, channeling, ancestor veneration, and witchcraft. And I'm sure there's a lot more that I didn't mention, but um, all healing me methods that offer us tools for connection with the sacred or divine forces we are in contact with, whether we are aware of it or not, are fall into the category of magic, I would say. So does that conclude our description of our three? Yeah, I think this is parts. this is episode one, just our introduction, and we thank you for joining us. And also want to mention that the song at the beginning, which I'm going to play the full song at the end, is "Seed" by the band Old Lang Syne, and you can find them on Bandcamp. They're also friends of ours. New York State friends of ours. They're now in Bisbee, Arizona. Right. And I'll post a link so that you can find them and listen to them. So thanks for joining us. Thank you. Bye for now. Even if lightning strikes or if thunder splits the sky If the mountains fall and rivers overflow You can never stop a seed from growing Even your world wars Even your civilization In the cracks of your schemes In the closet of your dreams Never stop a windborne seed in your tears when you weep in the ditches in the streets in your wounds and your scars. There's still an ember left flickering in the dark. Your roundup, 
wild weed, every bramble thorn and root, every dandelion too. A little seed is still gonna slip on through. Even your trickle down, even if you keep down the working poor, put us in prison. But it's your greed that did us in. Can't stop the seed coming on the wind In the toenail of a dove In the wheel hub of a truck When a cow farts in St. Paul Well, it sends a seed whistling down to Arkansas Oh, 